Welcome to another week of Spilling the Tea with me, Gloria. This week, I am joined by the gorgeous William Hampson. Looking gorgeous yourself, Gloria. <laughs> oh, wow. Author of The Lost Boys of Soho, a true story about how his HIV status was used to blackmail him while working as a bartender in the heart of London's gay village, Soho. How's it going, Will? Hi, Gloria. I'm really well, thanks. Gotta say, what a fantastic introduction. <laughs> Can I call you Will, or do you prefer William? Willie's good. If you want to call me Will, that's fine. Awesome. I mean, I've, I've been called worse, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, Will, let's jump straight in. I read the book. Wow, what a read. Oh, thanks. But first, let's listen to how you were initially told you were HIV positive over the phone. Oh, go on then. It came back reactive. What's that mean? Reactive. Uh, what's that mean? The test showed antibodies for HIV. Oh, right. So what should I do now? You will just have to call your nearest clinic or hospital that offers HIV services. What? And you know, the thing is as well, you know, because obviously for legal reasons, I had to get a, like a voiceover um, lady to, to do that for me. It just hasn't quite captured the emotions that, as I remember it, because it was just really kind of, um, I can just hear the, the tone, I can hear the tutting, the sighing. Wow. And oh, you know. Where do you even begin in getting your head around being told you're now HIV positive? Especially over the phone. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing being told a diagnosis over the phone, which actually I wouldn't have minded. Um, there's quite a few other people that I've spoken to or I've heard conversations where, you know, they've said that um, they were told, you know, that they would have to make an appointment and that appointment was, you know, a week down the line and they said, look, just tell me over the phone. I would I would rather know, rather know now. And I think I would have been one of those people as well uh -huh. had I sensed there was, you know, something amiss. But I think what's really hard to get my head around, and perhaps still to this day, even though I don't give it too much thought, some people say that, you know, you can kind of never escape living with HIV because you'll have a, a daily reminder, such as, you know, daily medication. Uh -huh. Whereas for me, actually, I can sometimes forget about the medication. You know, you kind of go into autopilot. I mean, I remember something that the nurse said to me when I said, oh, my God, I, said, I, I don't think I'll be able to get my head around medication because I don't even take a headache tablet, you know. So now having to have this life-changing event where every day I'm going to have to take medication. He said, look, Will, you wear glasses, you know. Do you get up and just put your glasses on automatically? You don't even exactly. think about it. And I said, well, actually, yeah, that's quite true. He said, well, the medication will become the same. And it has. Whereas this phone call, it's going to be something that's going to live with me, you know, for the rest of my life. And I can I can hear it almost like an echo in my mind, you know. If I can hear the tutting and the sighing and just the real disdain that she had, you know. Yeah. Almost as though I was deserving of the news that she was giving me. So... Yeah, it was quite hard, you know, to kind of get your head around. And this was almost to a degree, actually. And I laugh and joke about it now, but it was almost that the, kind of the diagnosis itself over the telephone came second, you know. My first issue was, was just the attitude of this woman. And I'm not kind of, you know, off there with delivering bad news. But even I would know that you would, you know, you wouldn't have delivered it the way that, that she did. Exactly. Um, and a lot of other people have agreed with me, you know, people living with HIV and other service providers have all been quite shocked when I've relayed, you know, actually how the conversation um, went down. Wow. So for those of us who don't know, tell us a little bit about the book and how it came about. Kind of general observations that I'd seen of conversations between a lot of the older members of the LGBT community um, 
you know, comparing the um, AIDS and HIV pandemic to that of the COVID-19 pandemic at my new place of work, which was a, a gay bar in Soho. I kind of thought that would be really interesting to start documenting, and I suppose especially um, as somebody who was living with, with HIV myself. And so in a HIV forum, I started a Fred diary working in a London gay bar and was just documenting these conversations that I, over, I was overhearing because it just wasn't just the one or two conversations where um, older members of the LGBT community were you know, comparing the um, AIDS and HIV pandemic to that of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there was quite a few. And then there was just little bursts, which, you know, I would term as just banter and jokes. I mean, some people maybe would say that they were in bad taste, but again, just around HIV and AIDS, you know, and, and HIV and AIDS didn't consume everybody's conversation. So I then started to kind of like just document um individual colleagues and their lives around sexual health um you know and kind of their sexual promiscuity you know and just kind of general conversations um that they were having Uh and not wanting to give the (laughs) give the um ending away but when i left the uh, soho gay pub i posted for one last time on the hiv forum and you know i'd shared the events that would that led up to um, me leaving and and me actually leaving so that was going to essentially be the end of that thread and I just got quite a few private messages from other people living with HIV that just said you know their only reason to log in into the forum was just to catch up and, and binge read on my on my posts and they just said they found it really interesting it was like a soap opera uh, one individual said and they you know they kind of just liked the complexity and the, the drama and then when I mentioned just kind of nonchalantly really to a couple of service providers that I was accessing um they said oh my god you know this is this is the stuff that books are made of or this is the stuff films are made of you know you should you should document this and 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 write it in a book wow and kind of when I'd heard that quite a few times um I kind of you know literally just opened the laptop um went onto google and just typed in how to write a book and basically the advice was don't try and be William Shakespeare. Don't <laughs> try and be la da Just be yourself. Yeah. Write it in your own words and write it in your own hand. And and essentially that's what I, what I did. Awesome. So my book um, essentially is me, my new job in a London gay bar in Soho. Then I started to receive these WhatsApp messages from an unknown number, unknown to me, um, basically just saying that, you know, um, this person was aware that I'd got AIDS. Um, <laughs> wow. Which, you know, they were on the right track. I didn't have AIDS, I had HIV, which, so there's a big difference. But, you know, essentially they were on the right track. And if I didn't leave, they would out me to the rest of my colleagues. Mm. So then I ended up literally, through a little bit of investigation work, found out who the individual was. But what was interesting was I kind of had to disclose, I don't want to give the story away, but disclose to one of the managers called Jack. I then confided in him that I was receiving these anonymous messages that were essentially kind of blackmailing me. Um, to resign or I would be outed as having AIDS <laughs> and they also as well in the messages alluded to um, pulling a few stunts that saw me being isolated from my colleagues at work by NHS Trust and Trace so it's even this individual was quite smart I mean you have to give them some credit you know they were they were quite smart but not quite smart enough me and Jack essentially didn't agree you know he kind of wanted work to deal with it I wanted somebody with a little bit more power and a little bit more brains, if I'm honest. Exactly. And as a result, I kind of had to face the dilemma of whether I outed myself as being HIV positive to the rest of my colleagues or leaving it to this one individual. Wow. 
That leads me to how your colleagues reacted when you disclosed your status to them. They were quite cool about it, right? Yeah, they just couldn't give a shit. And, you know, it was the best reaction that I could have hoped for. Um, because, you know, I, I'm i not really kind of somebody who tells people details like this. So, you know, I kind of I was experiencing some kind of health issue. I wouldn't go into work. Um, I wouldn't even tell my friends, but I wouldn't go into work and tell everybody. And, you know, yeah. I'm just I'm just quite a very private person in that regard. Um but, you know, a couple of them give me a kind of reassuring rub of the shoulder or a little reassuring tap on the back, which awesome. I didn't like, but I appreciated. Yeah. Um. You know, one of them asked me, oh, but, you know, you'll be OK, won't you? You know, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine, you know. And I had to explain the, the whole message of you equals you, undetectable equals untransmittable, which means, you know, the viral load um, is so low that I can't pass on the virus. Um. To which Rudy, bless him, you know, kind of declared, oh, Thank God you're cured. And I said, well, no, I'm not cured, oh but, you know, that's Rudy for you. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. But as we know from the book, it was an issue for one. Well, as they say, you know, there's there's always one. And I think looking back, I think what's really disappointing for me is I think if the individual had a genuine concern, you know, everybody knew that I was really approachable and that I was very honest. People would come to me deliberately to ask me certain questions because they knew I would give them an honest response or honest feedback yeah um so i think this person would have known that they could have come and approached me about it um but i don't think and this is when me and jack clashed a little bit i genuinely even to this day i don't believe that the individual again don't want to give the the name away for anybody who wants to read the book uh-huh i don't believe he believed it himself i mean the language he was using was so archaic you know he was Kept saying that, you know, I had AIDS, which, you know, I didn't have AIDS. I, I have HIV. Exactly. He's still kind of worried about catching it through touch. So I just couldn't believe, and I still don't believe to this day, that those were his genuine thoughts. So for me, I mean, I'm not a specialist, so perhaps I shouldn't really kind of comment. Um, but for me, I generally do think there was perhaps underlying mental health issues here with this individual. Yeah. Because... A lot of the colleagues were kind of just innocently in conversation, you know, saying to me, oh, I was on shift the other night with so-and-so-and-so, and I kept saying, oh, this shift's so boring. If if Will was here, oh, I like working with Will because it's so funny. Mm-hmm. He's got a good sense of humour. You know, he really makes the shift go by so quick. So I kept kind of hearing different colleagues saying that these conversations were going on. And I think for this one individual who very much felt that the place was his, that he owned it, and that he was the baby and was, you know, kind of the, the centre of the, the the group, I think perhaps there was just a tiny bit or a, a big bit, actually, you know, a big dose of jealousy. <laughs> yeah. And I think this was just a means to try and perhaps get rid of me, you know, perhaps thinking that I would be that, I'd be worried or concerned about being exposed as having HIV, but, you know, little been known to him. I, I mean, I didn't want to tell everybody. And I wasn't sure, and I'm still not sure how he actually found out. But essentially, I couldn't give a fuck, you know? Oh, wow. Um, Which I don't think he liked. (laughs) And was it difficult sharing the details of how you acquired HIV in the book? Um, I wouldn't say difficult. I think I understood right from the, you know, from the very start of actually writing writing the book that, you know, naturally any reader that's going to pick up your book and give give you their time to essentially read a snippet of your life story are going to be naturally inquisitive to how you acquired HIV. So, yeah, I mean, I know I would. You know, I'm so nosy. <laughs> if I was picking up somebody's book to read about how they'd experienced HIV stigma, I'd want to know how they acquired HIV in the first place. So I was quite 
happy to to share it. I mean, I held back on some of the kind of detail. I mean, what I shared was a little bit graphic. Uh-huh. But, you know, I, I mean, I did find myself kind of having to just go back and kind of censor bits and, and take bits out that I perhaps thought were, were too graphic and not really necessary to share. But no, it wasn't really difficult to to relive that moment and, and write it down and, and document it, I suppose. Um, but again, I think even though I'd gone through that assault, um, I think, again, still what kind of bothers me to this day is is that telephone call. Yeah. So I suppose it goes to show, really, you know, that I'm not necessarily triggered or I get upset, but I suppose the early days of how I acquired HIV, my focus or my attention um, goes to the individual that gave me the news. And again, it's not that the fact that she was giving me that news the diagnosis just the way that she delivered it yeah so you know again it's that's what kind of really kind of haunts me more than the kind of act of the assault itself so let's get down to the real tea as in the drink uh-huh gloria only serves tea of the beverage kind okay let me top you up <laughs> yeah today's special is english tea one lump or two madam <laughs> oh my god so what's the tea with you and jack because you both became super close um we d- i mean I mean, there is no tea. What? (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I mean, look, we did become, you know, really close. And I did say to him, and he also, you know, kind of agreed and said the same was, it was just such a shame that kind of, you know, my HIV was the thing that was bringing us close. Um, because, you know, we would kind of always discuss where we, where we were in kind of the investigation side of things. He was wanting the company to kind of get involved. And I was very much leaving it to the police to deal with. So, you know, kind of we always had these conversations and I would perhaps then share, you know, things that developed or other messages that I'd received or, you know, little bits and bobs that I'd seen. So we'd spend quite a lot of time talking about it and wondering. And then he would share, you know, his kind of knowledge and from friends of his that were also living with HIV, you know, and he was very knowledgeable, actually. Great. I mean, we did spend a lot of time as well talking about, you know, other things, you know, whether it was colleagues or climate change or politics at the time. Um, you know, I was going through his text messages the other day in preparation for, you know, our conversation today. Uh-huh. And, you know, he's kind of always apologizing for some of the stuff that he, what he would perceive that, you know, he was banging on about. Um, but, you know, he was, he was a really cool guy to speak to. And, you know, we just, we just clicked and we just kind of had so many similarities. We were almost, you know, brothers from another mother, so to speak, because <laughs> yeah. you know, every time we had a conversation, he would go, oh, my God, me too. And I would go, oh, yeah, and me. So we both had, you know, we both had lots of similarities, but different experiences. So we were both able to just really have really good, long, engaging conversations. Do you have a picture of Jack you can show me? I know with the power of editing um, that I'm probably going to show you this picture very quick, but I don't want, I'm scrolling, by the way, just as I'm saying this, um, I don't want anybody to think that I've got Jack saved as a wallpaper or a screensaver or even pictures <laughs> oh my of Jack God. in my phone. I'm literally going onto the internet here. Um, okay, let me have a look. Welcome to another week of Spilling the Tea with me, Gloria. Damn, girl, he is hot. Oh, yeah, even I can admit, you know, he's, he's a handsome guy. Is he giving you fanny flutters? <laughs> Fanny flutter, is that what you call it in England? Yeah, if you're getting that feeling down there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fanny flutter. Although wow. I think fanny in America is something different. Exactly. Right? Oh, but maybe we should clarify. 
You're not just getting wind because you've <laughs> yeah. seen a picture of Jack. <laughs> oh, my God. Would you say you and Jack were being honest about your feelings towards each other? Well, you know, I think ordinarily I would say that's something that you would have to ask Jack. But I think I can quite confidently speak for both I and Jack in the sense that I just think that we were, you know, we were just really good colleagues, you know, really just just work colleagues we just got on so well you know surely he gave you fanny flutters too oh yeah i mean i've said it you know he's <laughs> a handsome guy um um but the kind of conversations that i had with jack was he just didn't like people that just kind of you know kind of objectified or sexualized mm. jack you know you'd get, even get customers that would ask me for a pen and, and, and some papers. I'd give him a bit of till roll and a pen and they'd scribble something down on it and then they'd give it back to me and say, oh, can you give that to Jack? And I would turn around and just give it to Jack because he would be stood right next to me and I'd give it to Jack. Jack would open it and just roll his eyes and, you know, just mutter, oh, for fuck's sake, and screw it up and chuck it in the bin. And I'd be like, oh, what was that? Was that like a phone number or... And he'd be like, oh, you know, just that guy, some arsehole writing, you know, that he thinks I'm really hot, I'm really cute, blah de blah de blah And Jack wasn't really up for that, you know, and, you know, I think it must just become really tiring. I mean, I don't know because I don't experience it myself, but when you are handsome and, you know, um, and, and muscly and, you know, people that are always kind of objectifying you sexually as opposed to getting mm. to know the person that yeah. I got to know. The Jack that I got to know was just a very kind of really nice, chilled, relaxed, a bit neurotic at times. <laughs> yeah. um, but that was kind of fun and, and kind of quirky, but... Underneath it all, there was a really kind of nice, endearing, sentimental individual, you know, and I really just liked our conversations. And, yeah, they could be sometimes mundane and boring. Sometimes I would stop him and say, OK, you're boring me now. And other times I just let him rub it on because it was just nice just to be able to have a conversation that just was very different to to the conversations I had with colleagues. And I didn't mind having the conversations that I would have with I was having with colleagues, but it really did. It, it, but it really was just limited, just to grinder, yeah, dick pics, um, you know, asses, threesomes, shagging, mm. uh, and and you know, kind of sexual favors that they'd done for customers. I didn't really kind of look at Jack anything other than just just a really cool guy that I could see myself hanging out with. Awesome, and we must talk about that sofa moment. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> Yeah. Okay, go on then. That moment when Jack leaned over to turn off the socket. Whoo, it's giving me fanny flutters just <laughs> thinking about it. Do you know, at the time, actually, because it was just like a real ending. I mean, Jack did keep mentioning to me um, because I'd gone from wearing the, the T-shirts at work to wearing a hoodie. And when he asked me, and other colleagues asked me as well how why I'd gone to the hoodie, I said, look, I'm just a bit tired of customers grabbing me by the arm. Um, one, because it's like just... COVID. So I was always, every time a customer grabbed me by the arm, to either get my attention when it was table service only, or they would grab my arm just to have a kind of conversation and a chat, and then they would start rubbing my arm, going, oh, you've got lovely hairy arms. Wow. And I would literally go to the sink to not only wash my hands, but like a surgeon getting ready to do an operation, I'd be washing up my arms as well, you know? <laughs> oh, um, wow. With the soap and the sanitizer. So I switched to the hoodies to kind of like put a stop to that. So then Jack kept saying to me when we were having these you know, kind of conversations. And he would go just to put his hand on my arm and then he would like back off and go, oh, sorry, I forgot you don't like being touched. And yeah. I would have to keep reminding you, I go, look, I don't mind being touched. I just don't like it when the customers do it, you know, um, because it's all it's, it's all sexualised. Yeah, exactly. The colleagues doing it, you know, didn't bother me and Jack didn't bother me. But I must admit, actually, when he leaned over me and he just, oh, it was kind of, it wasn't sexual at all, but he just put his hand to rest on my thigh as he leant over 
to switch off this switch that he said was driving him crazy because it was switched on but nothing was plugged in. Um, I got a bit of a funny flow, so yeah, I, I can admit that. I was like, oh. <laughs> Have you spoken to Jack since the book? Um, no. Oh, that's such a shame. And not for the want of trying. You know, when I left, I did send Jack a message just saying, you know, thank you so much um, for all your help and advice and, you know, kind of for, for being there. And it was a, a real privilege to work alongside um, Jack and a couple of the other Lost Boys. And I was really sorry that we wouldn't get to say goodbye in person, but hopefully yeah. we'll just catch up soon. And I'd never do the whole kind of blue tick delivered mm-hmm. and red <laughs> thing, but I did look and Jack had um, read the message. Um, can't remember exactly how, how long after, but it was definitely within the hour. I remember that much. And he chose not to, not to reply, which I think is a great shame, really. I don't want to give anything away, but... I guess there has to be something in what Lost Boy Johnny was saying about Jack, huh? Yeah, it's quite hard not to come to that conclusion, really, isn't it? Especially after, you know, the time when I was stood on the um, door of the pub and Jack was walking down the pavement with a couple of his friends. Uh-huh. And he literally was centimetres away. And I just said, you're all right, Jack, um, just as he walked past. And he looked me dead in the eye and then just carried on looking forward and just walked on by. Wow. And... As he did under my breath, I just said, fucking arsehole. Yeah. Not realising that, you know, Johnny was stood behind me and, and had heard what I'd just uttered. And he said, yep, two-faced that one. She'll drop you quicker than you can say Louise Woodward. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, it also plays into the whole kind of speech that I talk about in the book when, you know, Johnny says that, you know, if if I thought that Jack was helping me um, regarding the whole kind of HIV-AIDS incident um, to help me, then I'm wrong. Whoa. You know, that... Jack apparently was only doing it just to kind of advance his career or get the pat on the back from management. (laughs) Yeah. And I suppose really I kind of, I just hope that I haven't kind of been duped by Jack in that sense. But, you know, to a degree, kind of knowing Jack as I did it, albeit for such a short length of time compared to Johnny. I mean, Johnny, you know, knows Jack a hell of a lot better than, than I did. I just can't see that that's kind of Jack's style. Yeah. I guess... I mean, there has to be something in it because Johnny exactly. is a very kind of upfront and honest person. You know, he doesn't just pluck shit out of the air. Uh-huh. Um, so for Johnny to say something like that, I guess there has to be or must be something in it. I exactly. suppose the only saving grace, the fact that I don't know, is probably a good thing. Um, because although I don't think it would bother me, I think it would slightly bother me if that's the case that Jack, you know, really kind of was only helping me just to kind of receive some kind of praise or gold star. I would like to think that that wasn't Jack's motive. And what if Jack slid into your DMs? Gloria, no. This Is this surprise, surprise? <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise, Will. You haven't seen Jack for some time, but here he is. Oh my God, I'm going to hide under the table. Can you imagine? Oh, that would be awkward. I mean, look, it's inevitable that we're going to probably bump into each other again um, in Soho at some point yeah. because since the book and to the present day, you know, I've, I've continued to work in Soho and um, past the pub, you know, several times a day. Um, so it's inevitable that we're going to bump into each other. And although Jack only knew me for a relatively short period of time, I think Jack knows me well enough to know that um, I don't hold grudges. Awesome. Um, but at the same time, I generally do just move on with life. So Great. You know, if you ever reached out to say hello or flag me down the street, I'd be more than happy to, you know, have a bit of a catch up. Yeah. Catch up with him. So just between you and me, how much tea didn't make it into the book? Um, 
you know, in one respect, quite a lot, but then a lot of it was just, it was all just very samey, you know, very similar. Yeah. Um, because it was just, each shift that you worked, it was just a repeat of the, the previous shift. So whether it was the Lost Boys dipping their fingers in the till, <laughs> oh, wow. stealing stock, you know, whether it was bottles or pouring themselves drink and drinking on shift or wow. you know, getting high on crystal meth and, and cocaine, um, you know, it was kind of all just, very samey. I mean, kind of other instances, you know, there was, you know, I walked in on on one colleague masturbating in the staff room. What? And you would imagine that they'd be quite shocked and horrified that, you know, they'd essentially been caught or somebody Great. had seen what they were doing. But they just were quite happy just to just to carry on. And I thought, you know, I get it, this is a a lot more relaxed in the sense of a place of work, but I don't really want to be seen that when I'm, you know, yeah. just walking to the staff room to either freshen up or, you know, pick up my lunch. Actually, maybe you could clear something up. The toothbrush. Has your memory come back? Um, As the container for the urinal blocks said, long lasting sparkle with guaranteed freshness. <laughs> so, yeah, so when that bitch was walking around the pub gurning, it was like a full moon. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you still in touch with any of the Lost Boys? Yeah, a couple of them. Um, I think, you know, some of the others, you know, hospitality, you always have a high turnover of staff. Um, so, you know, genuine people move on. Um, you know, kind of friendships just kind of just naturally dissolve. The one that I do yeah. keep in regular contact with um, is, um, well, when I say regular, I mean weekly. When I say weekly, I mean daily. Is um is Rudy? Oh, Rudy sounds so cute. I loved the story about the lip gloss and the mask. Oh my god! You know me. You know the day that I saw that, I just I just wondered where I was and what I was doing there because I saw him literally pull down his disposable face mask, pull out his trademark lip gloss, and smear <laughs> yeah. it all over his lips, and then he literally was, you know. <laughs> Puckering up, and then the bitch puts puts her disposable mask back up and covers her covers her awesome. face. And I just thought, look at this dumb bitch. <laughs> oh my god! But you know what? Really, heart of gold, and not as stupid as uh, she makes out. Actually, what was the Lost Boys' reaction to the book? Well, Lurch was the first one to read it from uh, front to back, and apparently um, just said that I was just really nasty the whole way through which kind of left me questioning if he'd maybe skipped a couple of chapters um, because I was quite complimentary about him. But as for the other Lost Boys, um, kind of the the main feedback that I got, actually, which, again, I think just kind of shows the mentality of them was that they were all kind of arguing and really pissed off about who got mentioned the most. Yeah. Um, to the point where, you know, I had to literally do a name count of all their names to draw up a, a chart. But on the whole, it was quite positive. And just before we wrap things up, What's your best memory or moment? Oh, do you know, it's a really difficult one because despite the events that I highlight in the book, I actually had a really good time there. You know, it was a, it was an absolute hoot. Compared to all the other pubs that I've worked in since, it still, for me, kind of was the best place to work, you know, with some of the some of the best people, you know, because they, they had their kind of difficulties in life. But on a whole, they were, you know really good fun to work with you know they were really kind of interesting characters um so it's really kind of hard just to pick pick one but i think maybe 
I don't know. I think for me, my kind of standout memory is is just sat on the fire escape after Jack had had the the conversation with me on the sofa at the juice bar, and I literally was just shoveling in my battered sausage and chips, and Jack was coming down the fire escape. And said, oh, sausage and chips with curry sauce. And I said, yeah, I'm practically eating my emotions. And just the way that he just turned around so innocently, just with like puppy dog eyes, as if like I was genuinely serious, that I was shoveling in sausage and chips because I was so upset that he'd he'd friend-zoned me. And it was the moment that I just forgot all my basic good manners and just spat out these half-chewed chips back into my chip box and said to him, Jack, I'm taking the piss. So that kind of, probably for nobody else, but for me is kind of just the one moment that regularly pops into my head and I just just giggle to myself. And finally, tell us about people living with HIV and U equals U. Well, it's actually, you know, it's quite straightforward. Um, U equals U um, stands for um, undetectable equals untransmittable. And that's basically somebody living with HIV who's on effective medication um, reaches a point where their viral load, which is the measurement of, of HIV in their blood, gets so low, they class that as being at an undetectable level, um, which means, you know, if I was to have unprotected sex with somebody, I wouldn't be able to pass on HIV to them. So yeah, so that's basically U equals U, really. It's self-explanatory that U equals U, which is undetectable, equals untransmittable. (laughs) 